0: the truth news network politicians call out we're going to do this the opposition says no we're not the people watch this ping pong that eventually goes to the supreme court where each side questions the legitimacy of the supreme court all the world's a stage someone once said now even he's being called a racist so amid the chaos, what is the truth? Well, we can help you with that. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And your night with the standard is Dan Newman.
1: I kind of fall into that conversation, like, what the heck is going on? What's right? Who's right? What's wrong? And who's selling stuff that's wrong to the American people? Well, it certainly isn't us here at TNN Live. <laughs> We're one of you guys. Yep. We just go after the facts and throw them out there and let everybody draw their own conclusions, kind of like the uh, American ideal. You know, we figured that out. So let's figure it out together today. How about that? Much to talk to you about. A special guest with us later in the show today. But uh, kick back, enjoy that coffee. Early in the morning with Andre Crouch.
0: And lean not on your own understanding You I like this In all thy ways acknowledge him And he shall direct your path I need that today Lord
1: many of his songs and that was just one of thousands that are still out there and he made a huge dent in the Jesus revolution in the late 60s and early 70s he was kind of like the go-to guy when you wanted contemporary gospel music you went to Andre Crouch a good friend of mine by the way passed away a few years ago but really a great writer wrote some of the greatest songs in gospel music history. A lot of people don't realize that. Anyway, an interesting guy. Let's get you set for the show today. I told you we had a special guest coming aboard in the second hour. Her name is Joanna Herabedian. Now, you're not going to be the same after you hear what she brings to us today. It's not a lengthy interview, but it's to the point And she has a whole lot of experience at analyzing things from a woman's perspective. Uh oh. She actually admits. Now, don't come after me, ladies, but she admits that she's made some mistakes. (laughs) I don't think that's a, a sexist view. I think we all are hesitant many times to admit that we made some bad choices and we got to live with what comes from those bad choices but she takes us across the bridge and guys you're like I don't know I don't want to listen to a woman tell me about that well you're gonna want to listen to Joanna Harabidi in the second hour got a great story a great message and it'll change your life even if you're a man how about that also I want to brag. Grandfathers can do that, can't we? One of our twin granddaughters, Grace Shirley, today is signing a scholarship to play soccer at East Texas Baptist University. They're having a press conference. Poppy, that's me. I'm going to be there. Nani, that's Marianne, my wife. She's going to be there, and we're going to have on our ETBU paraphernalia. We're just button-busting proud our second of the twin daughters, granddaughters, Emmeline, also is a good soccer player. She doesn't know yet where she's going to go to college. They're both graduating this year. In fact, we have another grandson that is graduating this this year as, as well. I mean, that means we're getting old, doesn't it? Well, let me tell you one more thing about getting old that is probably uh, a bigger deal than. The ones I just told you. As of last week, Marianne and Dan Newman have become great grandparents. Wow. Our second grandson and his bride had a baby girl. Her name is Mariella. She is the most beautiful baby on the planet. You know what I'm talking about if you're a parent or a grandparent. None better than ours, right? So we're just blessed people. Not everything goes good all the time for us. I'm sitting here, as many of you know, I had major surgery last week. That's why TNN Live went dark for the week. I had a reverse shoulder complete replacement surgery. Now, what does that mean? That's gobbledygook. You don't know those medical terms, right? I don't either. Let me tell you what it is. They slice your shoulder open, and, uh, you know, the ball and the socket, well, they take them both out. They throw the ball away, and they shave down the socket. And here's what they do to replace it. The ball is now on the other side of that. They take a titanium shaft, and it has a ball on the end of it, and they drive that down on the bone on my right arm, upper bone on my right arm and it has the ball on the end of it. That ball rests into the shaved-down spot on the other side of the socket where they have screwed on a titanium plate. Now, that sounds pretty gross, but if you've ever suffered with really bad shoulder problems, I can tell you this is not a bad way to go. Recovery is even quicker than doing the old-fashioned shoulder replacement or rotator cuff and all of those. You know, it's interesting, of all the stuff in my shoulder, the only thing that wasn't messed up was my rotator cuff. Everything else was just torn to shreds. But nevertheless, I am back here a week earlier than I thought I would be because I'm doing really good. The pain is bearable. Yes, it is painful. I can't lie to you about that. You can't tear up uh, somebody's shoulder and do everything they did to mine without there being some issues regarding pain. But that's why God gave doctors the ability to come up with pain meds. And thankfully I don't have to use many of them at least so far. I'm not a I don't like pain meds. I just don't. They make me feel uncomfortable. But all that being said, we're back in the saddle. Steve Baker is in trouble. Oh my gosh. Hopefully he's going to be here with us tomorrow. And he will give us, or will will give it to you, but hopefully he'll be able to give it to you live on air, what's going on in the latest debacle about his January 6th multiple levels investigation, and how the Department of Justice and the FBI certainly are not putting Steve on their Christmas card list. In fact, looks like they're going to come and arrest him this week in Dallas. We won't even talk more about that until he joins us tomorrow, if he can. But as soon as we get concrete facts, we'll share that with you. And if you don't know who Steve Baker is, he's from Shreveport, Louisiana. He is now living in Raleigh, North Carolina, but he's one of the nation's premier video journalists, investigative journalist. And he has the most comprehensive of the January 6th videos of anybody, any of the major networks. He's licensed many of those videos to major networks around the, the world, actually. Overseas, they used his videos. And him doing that, and then also at the same time investigating using confidential sources, but legitimate sources, many of who you've heard on this show. He is showing that The Department of Justice under Joe Biden is corrupt from top to bottom. That includes the FBI. It includes the CIA. Every one of the other three-letter agencies, they're all in it up to their eyeballs. And they don't like it that they're being exposed in this process. And so fortunately for Steve Baker, he has many, many contacts throughout the government and also – Throughout major media, he's an official contracted reporter for the Blaze Network with Glenn Beck. They're standing with him, and five of the most prominent international political attorneys have stepped in and they have drawn the line in front of Steve Baker, pointed their fingers. If you heard this press conference a couple of weeks ago, we played it for you after it happened over in Dallas. They basically threatened the Department of Justice. You can come on and do this, but we're not going to take it sitting down. You are not going to lynch Steve Baker just for exercising his First Amendment rights. So it's going to be a busy day. It's also going to be a busy week, and I want to apologize to you for my absence last week. In the five-year history of this show, it happens very seldom that I'm not here, and If and when I'm not here, it's because I can't do the show that particular day from another location where I am at that time. You remember, six, seven months ago, I did 10 days of a show from Harare, Zimbabwe, the capital city of Zimbabwe. We did the show live from over there every day. And with today's technology, if you can hook up to a satellite You can do whatever you want to do. Television, audio, it doesn't matter. Anywhere in the world. We're blessed for that. And we're able to do that here at TNN Live. Just looking at the numbers of people that are logging in today, I think there were a lot of people that were just checking it out to see if I was back. I'm here. I'm in the saddle. And we've got a big day in store for you. So why don't we get right to it? Have you ever wondered how our government officials really feel about Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean, Netanyahu, he's one of those guys, you never wonder what he thinks. When he opens his mouth, he says exactly what he believes, what he thinks, and if he says he's gonna do something in his capacity as the Prime Minister of Israel, he pretty much always does it, and the only reason he wouldn't is if some way, somebody its outside of his control won't let him do it. But this Hamas invasion of Israel, think about that. It started on a Friday night, wee hours of the morning. They crept into the bedrooms and the homes of Israel citizens, not soldiers, not people in the military, not people even in law enforcement, and they killed them. They slaughtered 1,200 of them. Now, you put that in the context of why many of our leaders are really going after Netanyahu in a major way. What's the problem, Danny? They're just retaliating for what Hamas did. Well, here's the problem. There is a vast number of people in the United States that they say they like Israel and like what Israel stands for. But when it comes time to cut the hay they don't show that that's the way they feel about Israel. And so they get mealy-mouthed. Now, all of those on the far left in our government, and many that aren't in government but still in our nation, many represented by Muslims, from many of them from the Middle East, some from Hamas. They've got Hamas roots. We have three members of the U.S. Congress that fall into that category. Now they're going nuts because Netanyahu and the Israeli forces are continuing their push against Hamas. Now, several hundred Hamas fighters have been killed in this war. And sadly, so have many more Israeli soldiers. But folks, in a war, people die. People get hurt. And so... Everybody on the left is screaming and hollering. They want a ceasefire, a temporary ceasefire. They want Netanyahu to do it. And he said from the very beginning, he said it every time he's been in front of a television camera since, when he's asked, will you support a ceasefire? He immediately says, no. And here's the reason. Hamas has said since it became an entity they would never be satisfied until they were assured that they had killed every Jew on the face of the planet. And because of that, we know, the Israeli people know, we'll never be safe. We'll never have a future unless and until we take away all the rights and even the right to live of those people that have sold out and tell us 24-7, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill every one of you. And that's a tough position to have to defend. But put it on your on your plate for just a minute. If there was somebody that lived down the street from you, your neighborhood, maybe in the next neighborhood over, maybe in your city or maybe from some city 100 miles away, and that person just very visibly, publicly made very clear to everybody that would listen that they were going to kill you, and they might would explain, but in most cases, it's simply because of hatred, anger, hatred, they're going to kill you, and they'll not stop until they kill you, how are you going to respond? Are you just going to go hide in your house and sit in a corner, get in the rocking chair and rock and hope nobody comes to get you or take you away or anything? Well, that's one option, but it seldom is a good option. The point is, Israel did not deserve what happened at the hands of Hamas. Israel does not deserve what they're doing now as Iranian proxies are throwing up multi-million dollar rockets, ICBMs, all kinds of missiles, drones, killing Israelis across the Middle East, and even citizens, private citizens that just happen to be in the way. And so why are they doing that? That's what they told us they were going to do. Netanyahu has pushed back on Margaret Brennan's grenades claim that the Israeli people are united behind his plan. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu on Sunday, CBS host Margaret Brennan's topical grenades by claiming the Israeli people support his plan to defeat Hamas. Netanyahu appeared on Face the Nation to talk about the ongoing war. And it started way back on October 7th. Here we are, February, about to roll the calendar over and be in March. Margaret Brennan questioned the world leader on the progress claimed to have been made in the military campaign, and she asked if he is reconsidering his plans. Since the U.S. has given indications the current strategy is not as affected as expected. Here's a quote from Margaret. You said that victory is within reach, but U.S. intelligence says the IDF has only destroyed 30% of Hamas' leadership, and that the amount of tunnels that Hamas uses have really only been tiny in terms of what has been destroyed by the IDF. There's growing distrust of you personally, sir. You know this. And the U.S. Congress and it within the Biden White House, when your closest ally is telling you things like this and telling you that you need to reconsider a strategy Isn't it worth considering, Brennan Question. Prime Minister pushed back. He stated the U.S. agrees on the goal of destroying Hamas and pointed out doubts that were told to Israel prior to entering the war with Hamas. A lot of things that we were told by the best of friends initially turned out not to be true. They said you can't enter the ground war without having enormous complications. They said, you can't enter Gaza City. You can't go into the tunnels. It'll be a bloodbath. All of that turned out to be not true. Our soldiers are in the tunnel network. We don't have to take apart hundreds of kilometers of tunnels now. We're taking apart the missile production factories that are underground, the command and control headquarters, the computers that are there, the money that is there, the weapons that are there, and the ammo that is there. We're doing that methodically, so we're doing the war, he said. You can't substitute for the Israeli military command, and we're doing it very responsibly. John Spencer is the head of urban warfare at West Point, and he says that no other army has gone through the links that Israel's army has gone through to clear civilian out of harm's way, even though Hamas is doing everything to keep them in harm's way. So Brennan, as every leftist news person has to do, she interjected and claimed officials had questioned the country's end game before attempting to pivot the conversation. Netanyahu jumped on Brennan's point, highlighted the confidence the Israeli people had in the Prime Minister's goals. Sure, but the former head of U.S. Central Command was on this program just a few weeks ago, and said basically, you have not articulated any specific end game here. So, but putting that aside, I want to come back to a few different things you said, Brennan stated. Wait a minute, Margaret. You lob these grenades at me and you keep on moving. Well, first of all, you say there's no confidence in me. Well, the Israeli public has confidence in me, he stated. There were massive protests throughout Israel yesterday, Brennan jumped in. Of course we have protests, he said. We have protests. Israel's a democracy. We've had protests for 30 years. But the Israeli people are united as never before. Last week, they voted 99 to 9 in the NISET for my proposal that says we have to do two things. we got to win the war. We've got to have total victory but also not have an international dictate of a Palestinian state shoved down our throats that would endanger Israel. The people are overwhelmingly united on this. When is the last time we had 99 votes in the Knesset? I'll tell you, 30 years ago. So the people are united, the policy right, the people support it. And I intend to take it to completion because that's what we have. We can't compromise with total victory because I'll tell you, we can't win the peace if we don't win this war, and we will win this war. I really like Netanyahu. I like the fact that he doesn't take anything off anybody. He's just been one of those people that he's out there all the time. You never wonder where he is. In his thinking. And a lot of people would say, you know what? That's a bad thing. You're never let you're supposed to let your enemies know what you're thinking. Well, you know, I don't know about you, but when I face problems and issues in my life and my family and my business, I don't just lock in on one possible fix for everything. I consider it all. I'll ask others questions. I'll ask myself questions. I'll ask for opinions and I listen to it all, and then I put it all in a plate, and I feel like it's my responsibility to put everything together and on the back end come up with the best solution for it. That, my friends, especially in politics, is political leadership. Now, I know that might be a strange thing for many of you because you've not seen any kind of political leadership in this nation, since Inauguration Day in 2021 when Donald Trump gave the keys to the White House back to Joe Biden. He's been very successful at doing a lot of things. We'll tell you what those are during today's show and through upcoming shows this week, but none of them, none of them have been good. And that's why we still have this problem going on in the Middle East because nobody trusts the United States of America, under the leadership of President Joe Biden. Much more about that and a lot more, right after this.
0: Budweiser presents
1: the world's first
0: star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Bud Wiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh, your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a bud. You've earned it. This bud's fun. Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Raid shadow legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like... Uh, wet otters but the bad guys they're lovecraftian they're spooky they're um um big and then you go to battle and it's like then finally your foe is vanquished and that satisfaction is such a primal feeling ooh download raid shadow legends play for free
2: Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Hi, can I get a... Uh... Can I get a... get in the McDonald's. Ooh. Ooh, can I get
1: a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, can uh, I uh, get a... Uh... 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 Go, Bubba, go! Uh... Uh... Pick
0: me! No, pick me! Hey, can I get a... Uh... Ten-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like
1: with that? Uh...
0: In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman.
1: Oh, you just need to see my blaster in hand. (laughs) It's a special x-ray machine. I can see everything, all at one time. (laughs) Hey, listen... If uh, you missed the beginning of the show today, I want to make sure you understand where I've been. I was out because of surgery. Pretty nasty one. Didn't know how it was going to impact me for sure. So we made preparations to make sure we were not, we didn't stop publishing stories at all last week. Special thanks to a couple of our special writers that are contributors here and have been for a long time. Kelly Nelson, former ABC uh, producer. Show producer is one of our regular writers, a very conservative writer from the Middle West, and several others have contributed stories just to help us out. I am now being right-handed and having my right shoulder replaced. I'm kind of handicapped on the right side. That means writing and typing. And I'm a very good, fast typist, but only when both hands work. So I'm having a lot of help there. And then in the studio, the one thing that you do when you, you, you have audio and all that kind of stuff, but that's all interpreted into files on a computer screen. You have to drag and drop and copy and paste and all that. So it's taken me a little bit longer than I hope to get back in the saddle. But I am back in the saddle, and I'm doing much better than even the doctors thought that I would be doing uh, this. We're one week out. One week out from total, reversed, full shoulder replacement surgery. That sounds kind of tough, doesn't it? Well, guess what? It is kind of (laughs) tough. Anyway, thank you for staying in there with us. Thank you for being a part of this. You're amazing people. You always have been. And um, I think it just confirms for me that we have people that are really locked in and believe in what we're doing here, and that in many ways we're like-minded. We don't ask for, we don't look for mind-numbed robots. We never tell you what to think. What we do tell you is the facts that we're able to ferret out on our own through research that we find about the big things in our lives today. And we bring them to you, but we don't just bring you those facts and say, that's a fact. Believe it just because we gave it to you. No, we give you the evidence to back it up. Then we ask you to research it for yourself and draw your own conclusions. Not many people in media are sold out to that type of operating their media. And because of that, a lot of people come here because they know they're getting a straight shot. Now, sometimes when things are out there and they at least sound important, We tell you, hey, look, this is out there. This is floating around. We're investigating it, and we've not yet been able to prove that it's factual, nor have we yet been able to prove that it's not. But we want you to think and understand that we're researching this. And why don't you research at the same time? And whichever one of us gets the facts first, let's tell us so we can share it and get everybody on the same page. Wouldn't that be a good way to think if you're a media outlet. Instead of trying to make everybody believe everything you say, you print, you publish is true just because it's you. Look, I don't know everything and I never act like I know everything. And it's stupid for any of us to act that way. People know we're human and humans, we make boo-boos. Sometimes they're mistakes. Sometimes, sadly, especially in the mainstream media, They like to be called legacy media now. They do it purposefully and lie about it. And they expect you, just because it's them, you got to believe it because we're the ones that are telling you that. Wow, we're still walking the same road. Yeah, we are, and we're going to be as long as the United States is still the United States of America. It's part of democracy. It's a messy, stinky operation, but it's required to be so, so that we can all find for ourselves the answers to the questions that we've been unable to get any answers for from anybody else. In some cases, we've never been able to get them at all. So if you look at the Biden administration from day one, when they came in and he appointed Lloyd Austin as his secretary of defense, Everybody knew the name. He had Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, and he had uh, Jake Sullivan, the uh, White House. What's his title, Jake Sullivan? Um, anyway, the undercover stuff. I can't think of the term. Somebody will text it to me in just a minute. But anyway, all of these are names and people from the past. And so when this was all being put together, they did it very quietly. They didn't come out and brag and say, hey, we're going to put this person as Secretary of State, this one as Secretary of Defense, this one as the uh, Intelligence Security White House correspondent. We're not going to tell you any of that. We're just going to do it and let you know about it after the fact. Well, guess what they did? They named all of the old Obama-Joe Biden administration cronies. And the number one... Most obvious and the absolute number one worst pick they could have made was Lloyd Austin as Secretary of Defense. Now let me tell you a little bit about him. He's African-American, has a uh, very good military past in history. He served faithfully. But he's got a lot of stuff that is in his wake and when I say wake, I'm talking about what's behind him in his military-slash-political career. Let's go back a few years. Let's go back to the Obama administration. Let's go back to Hillary Clinton. At that particular time, Lloyd Austin was ahead head of Central Command. Now, Central Command, or it's short for CENTCOM, that is the U.S. military that encompasses all of the military operations in Europe, the Middle East, and Northern Africa, CENTCOM. It's a pretty big area, and it's a pretty volatile area. I think everybody can agree with that. Well, he was over CENTCOM. Now, what happened during that time that was noteworthy and pointed some real negative fingers at the Biden administration? And then, of course, it was the Obama administration. You remember Benghazi? We lost four patriots that were slaughtered on the streets of Benghazi. And he was over that. He was the guy, CENTCOM, that was on the phone while all of that was happening. And these uh, terrorists were pushing, breaking into, and destroying the consulate in Benghazi and ultimately murdered four American political and military members unnecessarily. They should have never lost their lives. One thing that very few people know at that point, at the very end, there were four SEALs on a plane circling Benghazi waiting for our Secretary of Defense now, then CENTCOM director, to give the green light for them to land and them go to that consulate And save those four Americans. All they did was circle. He would never give them the go to land. And those four men died. And then, of course, that administration began the massive cover-up, blaming everybody. They even blamed Santa Claus for what happened. It was a video that Santa Claus—I mean, it was crazy how they just marched out and lied and lied and lied and gave a bunch of different reasons for why it happened— And they didn't do anything wrong. And then, of course, at that same time, there was a little issue going on up in Syria. You remember the president of Syria, Bashar Assad? He's a president, but he's really not an elected president. I mean, he's a king. But anyway, he was checking on ways to slaughter his own people. So he tried gas. And guess what? If you want to kill a bunch of people, you could gas them, and it works, and it's really nasty. So, again, Lloyd Austin was still at CENTCOM. Barack Obama was the president. Joe Biden was the vice president. Hillary Clinton was the secretary of state. Anthony Blinken was not the secretary of state then, but she was. he was working for Hillary, as was Jake Sullivan. All the same people that are in the same jobs in this administration with Joe Biden at the head. Nothing changed. They were over there really working diligently to get peace across the Middle East at this time. And guess how they were doing it. You remember, it was an uproar over there. Really, really bad at the time. There were all kinds of fightings going on. These rebels across the Middle East were just slaughtering people. And so Hillary Clinton got a bright idea. Lloyd Austin signed on to it. Jake Sullivan signed on to it. Barack Obama signed on to it. And it was to arm some Syrian rebels that they despised. Bashar Assad, they were attacking him and his military locations. And instead of us getting involved, you know, by name, they decided we should just give these militants all the weapons and ammunition and the go-ahead that they needed to take Assad out and to stop this slaughtering of his citizens. And so they gave him millions of dollars, gave him all kinds of heavy armory, everything they needed to take care of the military of Syria at the time and at least keep them off their feet And stop some of the stuff that was going on. And they wanted to do it for one reason and one reason only. They wanted to be able to wave their hands in the air and say, look what we did. We saved these innocent Syrian citizens that Bashar Assad was murdering his own people. That's us. We're the United States of America. Well, none of that worked out. They just kept doing what they were doing. And Bashar Assad, remember Obama's famous. Cross my red line and you'll pay the price. Well, he drew the red line. Basser Assad crossed the red line and nothing happened but more gassing of those rebels. Well, after the Benghazi thing, that kind of just melted away into oblivion. Nobody talked about it except for one thing. It was a little leftover from that whole debacle. What might that be? Those rebels... All those millions of dollars that our government, mine and yours, you know, the ones we pay taxes to, the money that we pay in there, they bought all those weapons. I mean, tens of millions of dollars of weapons. Very sophisticated weapons and armed these people. But these were just innocent Syrian civilians that were trying to to set their fellow citizens in syria free one problem though those militant rebels they were isis barack obama joe biden hillary clinton lloyd austin anthony blinken jake sullivan created isis And ISIS began to do what ISIS is going to do. You know, haters going to hate, cheaters going to cheat. ISIS terrorists are going to be ISIS terrorists. And they kept doing it until the orange man (laughs) found his spot in Washington and he just took them to the woodshed. And things got a little different in this world for him. Why am I bringing that out now? The same kind of stuff is happening in our defense department right now. Listen to the latest, this thing going on. The White House and Congress, they're telling us that China poses the greatest security threat to the U.S. But their actions on defense spending, you know, our leaders on defense spending for us, what they're doing undermines their promises to boost our national defense in kind. In other words, to match what China's doing. Biden administration plans to submit an $850 billion defense budget request to Congress for fiscal year 2025. Major cuts to Pacific focused programs, a congressional aide says. Massive major cuts to Pacific focused programs. That would be everything to do with China and Southeast Asia, right? The White House and Congress have shown themselves unwilling to significantly raise defense spending or prioritize. As a result, we find ourselves in the worst of both worlds. That's from Alex Velez Green, a senior policy advisor at the Heritage Foundation. So despite the normal bluster from the White House and both sides of the aisle in Congress on this existential need to overmatch China militarily, No side appears willing to follow through on any of their promises. The Biden administration, they're going to ask Congress for some more money. That's pretty easy for them to do. They ask for money or demand money from Congress every day. This time, it's about $850 billion to fund our military for the fiscal year 2025. That's nearly what Congress enacted for fiscal year 2023, While the Pentagon has warned China is rapidly catching up to U.S. defense capabilities, while our military falls further behind efforts to reorient its posture towards the specific, neither Congress nor the White House appear willing to put taxpayer dollars where the threat is. Budgets are statements of priorities, and this budget, our military budget, shows the Biden administration, despite its rhetoric and strategic documents, is failing to prioritize the threat coming from the People's Republic of China. That comes from Alex Gray, who's a senior fellow at the American Foreign Policy Council, and he's, by the way, former National Security Council official. In March of 2023, the Biden Defense Department requested $842 billion for national defense, For the whole fiscal year, 2024, Congress finally raised the budget to $886.3 billion. And they did that in the National Defense Authorization Act enacted that December. At around $850 billion, the expected 2025 proposal tops out at nearly $10 billion less than the Pentagon had projected when it submitted its budget estimates in 2023, This request shows the Biden administration is fundamentally unserious about addressing the greatest geopolitical threat we have ever faced, and that is the Chinese Communist Party. While we're not doing anything over here, China's making extraordinary strides in all domains of warfare, he added. Under dictator Xi Jinping, China's advance towards supersizing its deepwater navy Therefore, its ability to project power far beyond its shores. Closing the gap with the U.S., the Pentagon believes China will possess more than 1,000 operational nuclear warheads by the end of the decade. The PRC, People's Republic of China, is the only competitor to the United States with the intent and increasingly the capacity to to reshape the international order. That's coming from Biden's national security strategy. That's a document setting the administration's national security priorities. The White House and Congress have shown themselves unwilling to significantly raise defense spending or prioritize. As a result, we find ourselves in the worst of both worlds. That's Alex Valiz-Green, the senior policy advisor at the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center, Pentagon plans to cut some programs considered critical for deterrence against China. The White House's proposed budget request enough funding for just one Virginia-class nuclear-powered attack submarine. Just one. Citing three sources familiar with that proposal, in previous years the Navy has consistently ordered two boats, Every year. So what does that mean? Lack of our capacity was cited as a reason for the cut. Navy Secretary Carlos Del Toro stated in the past that industry requires a constant demand signal giving it the confidence to invest in capacity, but recently chided companies for seemingly prioritizing stock buybacks over taxpayer dollars. Does that surprise you in any way that this administration and its members, including in their defense bureaucracy, would be more concerned about defense industry, private industry corporations stock value than they are about what the United States military needs? Now, why would I think about that for a second? Why would that be a big deal to them? Mm. I think you know why. Think about it.
2: Money is
1: not evil in itself. But it's evil when it gets in the hands of people, especially people that are in high political places, that have the responsibility and the ability and the demand. you got to get money. We can't operate. We can't do the things we need to do without the money that we need. But then when you look at the money they say we need and what for, it's not so much about our military's real needs, is it? It's about what they can do to open some doors in their careers, many of which end up being lobbyists and getting paid millions of dollars after they leave the administration.
0: Talking with you, not at you.
3: Intelligent conversation.
1: TNN, the Truth News Network.
3: Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts and Modesto Auto and Truck Parts. 924 G Street in downtown Modesto. 529-8342. 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavour is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive... Yes, the drive of luxury is simply Infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice, select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley and yes all the luxury is on us introduce yourself to luxurytesttour.com and truly become familiar with luxury infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other luxurytesttour.com drive luxury drive infinity infinity of Elk Grove expect more
0: don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org.
1: And in our next hour on Monday show, a very special guest is going to join us. I'm going to give you her name. You probably won't recognize it. Joanna Harabedian. She is an expert about lots of things to deal with women. And of course, if it There's a lot of things that deal with women. Obviously, it's a lot of things that deal with men as well. We have a really good conversation, and she is a great communicator. You need to sit tight. In fact, we're going to try to get that on at the as close as we can as the top of the second hour. So let's just get right to where we need to get to. You know, when Biden very quietly decided he was going to stop the export of liquid natural gas, principally from outlets that were offshores of South Louisiana and South Texas. Most of that was going, had been for a long time since we started doing it, going to our allies in Europe. So when Joe cut that off, this happened just two months ago. You know where they had to go to get it. They had to go, to somebody that had it and somebody that would sell it to him because winter was coming. And Joe just cut it off. Of course, he used environmental reasons as justification, although L- liquid natural gas, LNG, is the most clean-burning fossil fuel that has ever been. And it's helped our emission levels to go down over the last five to six years here in the United States. By the way, we're the only country on the planet that our carbon emissions have gone down each and every year of this century. Nobody wants to talk about that. They just want to damn us for how horrible we're treating our environment, right? So where are these people in Europe, where are they going to go? Well, they went to Russia, and of course, Joe Biden, he demeans Vladimir Putin And he blasts Donald Trump, saying Donald Trump is in cahoots with Vladimir Putin. (laughs) Well, Trump took away from Putin when he was president all of the purchases of gas and oil from Northern Europe because we started selling it to them. And when Biden cut all this off, where are they going to go to get it? Well, they can't get it from us anymore. So they're going to buy it from somebody who will sell it. Cutter's doing it. Qatar. They're expanding their natural gas export capacity, and they did this expansion. Guess when and why? The day after Joe Biden shut our spigot off, they started ramping up their spigot in Qatar. They're building additional liquefied natural gas export capacity after Joe did his thing. Officials announced additional long-term increases in natural gas production on Sunday. That's supplementing existing plans for growth and putting the country's capacity on, tra- on track to rise by 85% by the end of the decade. Qatar is, better that is betting that natural gas demand is going to remain robust, especially as Asian economies increasingly are looking to shift away from relying on coal the increases in capacity will take Qatar's gas industry to new horizons. Saeed Sharidia al Qaba, Qatar's energy minister and the CEO of Qatar Eng- Energy, he said of those plans, according to the Financial Times, these are very important results of great dimensions. Qatar recently discovered massive new gas deposits that increase its overall reserves by 14%. Qatari companies have inked two major long-term deals to supply gas to China. They've done that in the last year and a half. An oil and gas giant Shell published a report earlier in February forecasting a 50% increase in global LNG demand by 2040. And so here's Uncle Joe. And his answer for everything is to answer the phone when one of his Green New Energy sycophants calls and says, Joe, you got to stop. We're killing people. We're destroying environments. We're giving this natural gas, this LNG, to people over in Europe. And while we're doing it, we're destroying our offshore environment. We've got to stop doing it. Well, doggone it, I'm going to do it. And he does it. Doesn't think about what the ramifications are. And I know one of you, two of you maybe, when I said that you thought, yeah, what's in it for Joe? You said that, I didn't. (laughs) Hadn't even mentioned election stuff. We got to just, we got to spend a few minutes on it. Yeah, we had the big South Carolina primary on um, Saturday. And yeah, Trump. He walked all over Nikki Haley. She kept a realistic margin of loss. And the only way that it happened is she and her minions were very successful at getting Democrats to cross over, which they could do in an open primary. You, you If you're a Republican, you can vote for Democrat. If you're a Democrat, you can vote for Republican. So they had the Nikki Haley um Campaign, they had a lot of people in South Carolina that were voting for Nikki Haley just to inflate the numbers to try to keep it realistically close to Donald Trump. So let me ask you this. I, we could spend the rest of the show talking about that. We're not going to do that. I've never been a Nikki Haley fan, nothing personal. I just don't really appreciate her politics and the way she's operated her life in national politics. I knew very little about her, even when she served those two terms in South Carolina as governor. But it just didn't seem like everything was kosher when she was working for Donald Trump as the UN ambassador from the United States. It just didn't seem right. So she is hell-bent on being the last person standing, isn't she? If and when Nikki Haley acknowledges the obvious to all of us, there's no way short of a surprise event that she's going to wrest the GOP nomination away from Donald Trump. She could have another opportunity to run for the presidency. And I know this has probably got her amped up big time. You've heard about this group. They call themselves no labels. They're supposedly centrist. In other words, they don't lean left or right, which you and I both know that's impossible. They lean one way or the other. Anyway, No Labels is still looking for a third-party candidate, and the former South Carolina governor could fit the bill of a big name that could lure some voters with the efforts to put together a ticket still in flux with the number of names having been reported. One person who likely won't beat the no-labels candidate was waffling West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin, who may have dealt the group a major blow when he announced he won't launch a White House run. So Nikki Haley seems to be the best other option. The national direction, director of no-labels, a guy named Joe Cunningham, appeared on Fox and Friends over the weekend where he expressed interest in hooking up with Haley if she decides to end a Republican bid, which is an unlikely prospect with the big donor money continuing to flow through and into her coffers, much of it from Democrats. The truth is we're talking to a lot of spectacular people right now. We're not ready to unveil these folks just yet. That's what this guy told to Fox News host Will Kane Sunday. This has been a project to essentially give Americans another choice if they're unhappy with the presumptive nominees. Which, you know, it appears it's going to be Trump v. Biden right now, but we don't know. Nikki Haley, she's remaining in the race. You can't count her out completely. And hats off to her for staying around and for sticking with it. But we're looking for great quality people, and folks that have broad an appeal to independents, Democrats, Republicans, and yeah, I mean Nikki Haley, somebody we'd definitely be interested in. Cunningham said this. We won't be making a decision before Super Tuesday. We've said from the onset that after Super Tuesday, we're going to look at who the presumptive nominees are, and if the vast majority of Americans are unhappy with those and We feel we can put forward a ticket or offer our ballot line to candidates who can win. Then we're going to offer the ballot line. So everybody's asking after Saturday, there were a lot of people, even though Nikki made it very clear, I'm not quitting. I know I'm probably not going to win South Carolina, but I'm not quitting. As long as we have campaign dollars, we're moving on. So despite her sound thumping by the orange man on Saturday, a humiliating result when not enough Democrats showed up, didn't come out on the open primary state to make her even look competitive. She was defiant. She insisted she's not going anywhere. I'm a woman of my word, she said. I'm not giving up on this fight when a majority of Americans disapprove of both Trump and Biden. In the next 10 days, 21 states and territories will speak. They have the right to a real choice, not a Soviet style election with only one candidate. And I have a duty to give them that choice. Also mentioned as a possible no labels candidate is failed GOP presidential candidate, Senator Mitt Romney. Gag. Ah. Can't stand Mitt Romney. He could have beaten Obama but he laid down the last two weeks and did nothing in that campaign. There's also former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. He's out there, neither of whom are very inspiring. We're Democrats, Republicans, independents, different political opinions. Sometimes we have serious disagreements over policies, but one thing we all share is a commitment to respect those differences and to find areas of common ground so we can move the country forward. That's a quote from No Labels' website. I All I think about when they start with these third-party things, all that's going to do is hurt everybody else in a race. And we're in, without question, the middle of the most important political race for the White House in my lifetime. And I'm 70. I don't know about yours. So we can't do the day, my first day back, we can't do the day without going to Georgia and talking with or about Fanny Fanny Willis and that uh, soap opera that's playing out there. And it's really getting messy, really getting messy, more messy every day. And there's more out this morning about old Fanny and her boyfriend.
2: Doesn't look like she was that lonely because, I'm sorry, you arrive at quarter to one in the morning and leave at five in the morning. That's the night.
0: It's obvious uh, that they were, look, in my opinion, at least, it's obvious that they were lying. Okay, so they've if that's the case, they've lied under oath. um, They've perpetrated a fraud on the court. Okay, so we're now in very, very. Uh serious territory here. This is the kind of thing that the judge is, is really not going to have much choice. He's got to take some action now because we can't have people playing these little word games like that when they're asked a straight question and they say, no, nobody ever stayed the night. Well, if they left at 5 a.m., that's spending the night in my book, okay? Mm-hmm. And so uh they certainly were not forthcoming. They certainly left uh the, the wrong impression. Uh, it tried to, at least, of what was going on. And so the
1: question becomes, if they're lying about that, Megan, what else are they lying about? Well, liar's going to lie, and they got busted. What do you mean, Dan? Well, representatives for DA Fannie Willis, Fulton County, that's Atlanta, Georgia, the district attorney's office, argued that the explosive data collected from prosecutor Nathan Wade's cell phone doesn't prove anything relevant and should be removed from being evidence in the case. It was reported, and everybody knew about this, this wasn't a big secret, Donald Trump hired an investigator to map out cell phone calls and text messages between Wade and Willis. And what the investigator found out indicates that Willis lied about when her relationship with Wade I'm telling you, folks, this is this dadgum wounded right wing I have. I'm accidentally clicking a button, and as I look at two computer screens in front of me, there are probably a 1,000 buttons. I apologize. If you're a regular on the show, you know this kind of stuff doesn't happen, so please just tolerate me. Maybe by the end of next week, I'll be through with this sling. They call it a sling, but my gosh. It's restrictive, like I've never seen restrictions anyway. Trump hired an investigator, and the investigator found out Willis lied about when her relationship with Wade began. According to the data, Wade visited Willis's Hapville neighborhood at least 35 times before she hired him to head up Fulton County's election interference prosecution. The records do nothing more than demonstrate that Special Prosecutor Wade's telephone was located somewhere within a densely populated multiple-mile radius. (laughs) Boy, what a cop-out. But the explanation continued. Where various residencies, restaurants, bars, nightclubs, other businesses are located. The records don't prove in any way the content of the communications between Special Prosecutor Wade and District Attorney Willis. They don't prove that Special Prosecutor Wade was ever at any particular location or address. They do not prove that Special Prosecutor Wade and District Attorney Willis were ever in the same place during any of the times listed. Now... Everybody out there that's listening, if you believe that, raise your hand right now. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. I don't see a single hand. Nobody believes that. According to AJC Politics, the data seems to contradict Wade's testimony last week in which he said he had visited Willis at her condo in Hapville no more than 10 times before he was hired in November of 2021. It also shows that in the months before Willis and Wade said their relationship became romantic, that was early in 2022, Wade's phone twice arrived in the area, uh uh-oh, late at night and left early the next morning. Now, we don't know if he was at her house or if he was just parked around the block and just sat there all night. We don't know that. Come on. (laughs) The timeline of the Willis-Wade relationship is important for two reasons. If they were a couple before she hired him, it raises the prospect that she may have violated at least the spirit of anti-nepotism rules, though Fulton's policy specifically focuses on family members. The timeline of the Willis-Wade relationship is important for another reason. More importantly, both Willis and Wade have testified under oath. Their relationship began in 2022. If defense attorneys can prove that they lied under oath, it could constitute perjury on X, formerly known as whatever the heck it was. My gosh. They keep changing their names. Anyway, few are buying the prosecution's dismissal of the cell phone data. Not relevant? The hell it's not relevant, one user said. She can try and deflect, said another of Willis, but unless the judge is as corrupt as her, this should be over and she should be removed from the case, disbarred, prosecuted for perjury. According to one Twitter user, The judge has no alternative but to charge her and her lover with perjury. I have a tendency to agree with that. What do you think? I mean, you have the same rights as I have. Um, I don't think we're ever going to know the facts. I think they don't want us to ever know. And they're going to maintain because why? They're Democrats and Joe Biden's in the White House. And I bet you didn't know this, but Willis and her boyfriend made a couple of trips to Washington, D.C. and visited with White House counsel about this case before she ever filed charges against Donald Trump. There's only one explanation for that. You don't have a district attorney from, I don't care if it's a big city like Atlanta, you don't go up and discuss a case before the case is even being filed, and it's a local case. It's not a federal case at all. But they did. Why, oh, why would they do that? Don't tell me Joe Biden has not orchestrated this from the beginning. Because he has. <laughs> and he still is. Well, I told you at the top of the show, Joanna Harris Beattie and is with us today, and she has a really good story. I want you to listen to her. You're going to like this, and she's going to come back. And when she comes back, we may even do a uh, uh, an online live program where you can call in and visit with her live, ask her questions, etc. And you'll know why I'm saying that, and hoping we can make that happen after you hear Joanna. She's up next.
0: Election cycles come and go. White House reporters come and go. The truth is a diamond because it's forever. TNN, the Truth News Network. Your jeweler today is
1: Dan Newman. On the phone with us now is somebody very special. I'm excited to present to our audience, Joanna Parabini. Now let me tell you what she is. She's an author of a great book, Seven Mistakes Women Make That Repel Good Men and How to Reverse Them. She's an international speaker, and is a minister, she's a relationship coach. On top of all of that, she's a three-time national pageant title holder, and her titles include Ms. America 2019 to 2021. You have accomplished quite a diverse things in your life so far and uh some very important things i want to welcome you to tnn live in our audience in multiple countries that many of these people are listening to the show today because you're on the show today welcome mm-hmm.
2: thank you dan it is an honor to be on your show today i love your work and what you're doing around the world it is so needed so thank you for having me on and thank you for what you do
1: I'm not one of those interviewers that just dominates the Q&A, and I'm not going to do that with you. I want you to speak your heart to our audience today about these things that, in this book, plus other parts of what you do, prove that relationships are the most important institutions in our lives and how in the heck Americans are supposed to survive with so much chaos in our lives, especially in our families, how do we keep each other going and how do we keep our institutions lasting? Like that marriage thing?
2: That's a great question because I graduated from the University of Ouch, that hurt. Now what? In the arena of romance failures, I uh, married Mr. Wrong the first time and we'll go. Cliché today for teaching purposes, Mr. Wrong, Mr. Potential, Mr. Right. And uh, I thought God had told me to marry Mr. Wrong to begin with. And uh, the second day after our wedding, I was told, I don't love you anymore. And that was the beginning of hell for me. And um, so I ended up getting rescued out of that that marriage because uh, very bad things happened in that marriage. And I found myself on the floor in one of those Ugly cry moments, you know, tear-strained face and all. And I cried out to God and I said, God, how did I end up in this mess? My dreams are shattered. I thought you told me to marry this man. He's the opposite of what he portrayed himself to be. And I ask that you hold up a mirror to my face and show me how I attracted a man like this and why I married him. And Dan that was the beginning of an incredible journey for me um, of revelation and so over time and I ended up being single for many years um, almost two decades really and that was not expected on my part once I went through the healing of the trauma from Mr. Wrong and went through the forgiveness and all that then you know I was ready to start exploring love and I was open to marriage again but then the very thing, interesting thing happened as I was single for three years, then two years, or five years, and then eight years, and the time kept ticking. But here's what God did through this, and this is brings us back to why this book is out right now. You see, during this time, I allowed God to sh- show me my heart and so, you know, it takes courage to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly within ourselves. Because I could have blamed Mr. Wrong for all the things he did. And ultimately, he was just broken, you know? And so I could have blamed him for everything. But I realized in that ugly cry moment, I had to take responsibility for myself. Because every marriage, each partner has um, a part in the failure of the marriage, regardless of what behaviors have been done. And I acted it to this we have a coin. On one side of the coin are men. On the other side of the coin are women. And we are each 100% responsible for our side of the coin. So I had to look at my side of the coin and what I was doing. And I'll tell you. The Holy Spirit, God is the ultimate shrink. He's the best psychotherapist I've ever had because he highlighted to me as I gave him permission to, to look in my heart, like King David talks about, oh, Lord, look within my heart and show me anything wicked within me. And um, and so the Lord began to unravel all these different things. And as I became aware over through my journey of transformation, I realized there were seven components that I had been operating in that were key in a relationship. And I didn't know it and they, the components that I was operating in, they were, they were mistakes that I was making. And as I got healed in these areas and as God began to show me these truths, I went, wow. And then I saw my friends operating in similar behaviors attitudes thoughts and they didn't even realize that they were doing this i didn't and and then i began to notice that this was really common as i would travel and i would do ministry and i would meet all these different women and couples and you know and different types of people in, in relationships there was this common thread i was seeing and i would have women you know i would meet women who they've been married for 20 30 years and then all of a sudden their husband says i don't love you anymore and he leaves and she's devastated and she doesn't understand why. So in sevenmistakesbook.com I address this and there's there were seven key components. And one of the ones I wanted to start out with is what I call the WIFM syndrome. What's in it for me syndrome. And right now in our culture, you know, we've been through a lot of trauma. We've been through, you know, the lockdowns, losing our jobs, uh, businesses, we've lost family members. We have, you know, the divorce rate is at an all time, you know, th- increased by 34%. And so these, these issues in relationship have really been attacked and have compounded. So with the Wiffham syndrome, you have a healthy with them, which is good boundaries. You have a mindset where you're not going to be taken advantage of and you know your goal is to have an equal mutual give and take. but what what's been happening in our current culture that we've been seeing in the media is that it's really the media has really promoted this, What's in it for me? Me, 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 me. So the Lord showed me when I, my motive for marrying Mr. Wrong to begin with, and this was not fun to look at. It wasn't fun to see, but I have to say this through the grace of Christ, his amazing grace that he did on the cross. I was able to look at myself without condemnation because, you know, we all make mistakes and that's why we need Jesus. And so I was able to look at my heart through that grace and still be like, wow, I can't believe I was a selfish because the Wiffham syndrome is a very selfish motivated syndrome. So when I wanted to marry Mr. Wong, Part of it was because I wanted to be married. I wanted to have that title of a wife. And my mindset was, Ooh, what's he going to do for me? He's going to help me with my music. He's going to help me with, with my ministry. He's going to help make my dreams come true. Well, that's an awful lot of pressure to put on someone. Now, did I realize I was doing that? No, of course not. You know, I wasn't intentionally doing it, but it was there. And so as the, as God began to highlight these nuances, I began to then unpack this. And so then I realized that my heart's attitude needed to shift. And so I began to practice exercises and do things to make it a, an intention that when someone meets me, regardless of who it is, a stranger, somebody, their encounter with me is gonna be a blessing to them, whether I see them again or not. So my heart's intention began to change from that with them, what are you gonna do for me? to how can I bless you? How can I improve your life in some way? Whether it's a smile or an acknowledgement or something like that. And, you know, if you look at the divorce statistics, the top three reasons, and this is not in order, the top three reasons for divorce are unmet expectations and needs, lack of commitment and communication, and infidelity well why do we have infidelity because someone has unmet needs now does that make infidelity right no it doesn't but we have to look at what has contributed to those those roads being paved and so this is one of the key things that I have found that I see with women um, especially because I'm a woman so I can say this uh, is how often have you heard a woman say oh, i just want a man to take care of me i just want my knight in shining armor to just come and take <laughs> care of me and all my problems are going to be washed away <laughs> Oh my god! and so and that was me uh, that exactly was <laughs> me and that did not happen the happily ever after just not magically happen like i thought it was like i thought it would you know <laughs> so
1: well if you just joined us we're speaking with author joanna harabedian and she's not just an author her new book seven mistakes women make that repel good men and how to reverse them i want to get her to speak a little bit about the book in a few minutes but also she's an international speaker and minister a relationship coach three-time national pageant title holder including ms america from 2019 to 21 let me just be presumptuous just for a second. You keep bringing up the God issue in this revelation that uh, you discovered after Mr. Wrong went away. And mm-hmm. Mr. Wrong might have been Mr. Wrong himself, but you were bold enough to look at yourself and ask God to give him, give you his eyes the way that he looks at you, God looks at you, and then you made some changes. How mm-hmm. does that process when you're doing these um, speaking and ministry things that you do, how do you get across to the people that are listening to you that it has to be God first, or it won't work?
2: Well, that's a great question, Dan. And so, the first thing is, is that I do that I share with people is to do this: give yourself permission to change your mind given new information, and give God permission to show you some things that that's that's number one right there because if we're not aware of what we're doing and why we're doing things what is the root then we can't change it and then we can't have better results you know how many times have you you know have has someone come to you and said god's not answering my prayer you know i've been waiting for i've been praying for my future husband for a long time or well my husband's not changing and he keeps doing this and this and this and this And I want to share a quick story with you. I had in one of my conferences, Women of Royalty Conference, I had a woman who she came and she had her divorce papers signed. They were signed, sealed, and ready to be delivered. And she couldn't stand her husband and he couldn't stand her. And they were still living in the same house. And so she came to the conference and she had been going through, you know, working through some of these principles that I teach. And at the conference, she did, she got an incredible healing. And she also, so because she had courage to look at herself and allow God to show her, her her heart and put aside forget about what her husband had done or didn't do but to look at herself she was transformed and so she began to practice these principles in sevenmistakesbook.com and a year and a half later she she wrote she called me and she said joanna now i was communicating with her you know through that time but she said you are not going to believe what has happened with my marriage and I said what and she said I am more in love with my husband today than I was when I married him she said I I can't believe what has happened in our marriage and so she thanked me for for being available to teach her these things and but the key was her and so it was really funny because when she came back from the, the weekend, she came back from the conference. So she didn't hand him the divorce papers. They were put away. And she she said, oh, my husband has changed. And I was laughing because it wasn't him that had changed. It was her that had changed. And she was changing the responses to him. Now, we can't change anyone. We can only change ourselves, but we can change and how we choose to respond to what someone else is doing. And I promise that will get different results like it did for her.
1: What opened your eyes? What specifically opened your eyes after you discovered just a couple of days into a marriage? I can't believe that happened. You don't hear of that happening very often. But anyway, Mr. Wrong was Mr. Wrong. We'll set him to the side. But yeah. how long did it take you to understand the real issues that you had with Mr. Wrong and realized that it wasn't all Mr. Wrong. It was you as part of the problem an equal part of the problem.
2: Well, you know, that's a good question because while we were married, you know, he was having affairs and there was other ugly behaviors that were happening. So I, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that I didn't get it while I was married, that I, that there were things that I did in, in, in those moments of time where it's like taking a, an ice pick and breaking the ice and what you say breaks the ice. I, I didn't know I didn't I didn't have the self-awareness at that time because I was selfish, and I also, you know, was couldn't couldn't see it. So it wasn't until after um, I escaped that marriage when and over when I had that ugly cry moment with the Lord, that real moment. Hey, God, show me how I ended up in this mess. How did I? Why did I say yes to the marriage to begin with? Um, and so, yeah, so I didn't I didn't see it while I was married and it was only afterwards that i began to take responsibility for my part and and the role that i had played um, regardless of what he had done, and that's when you know the Holy Spirit began to show me the revelations of my heart, how I was the the with girl, you know. I it was I was had a very selfish heart, and then there were thing other behaviors, and I address this in my book. So I, all these things I talk about in my book because everything that I share in my book are all the mistakes and behaviors and things that that I I did and. And that's why, you know, like I said, it takes courage to look at yourself and the good, bad, and the ugly and through the grace of Christ. Now, with these skills that I've learned over time, um, that is what attracted me to my, Mr. Wright, my current husband, Dr. David Harabedian. And he, he's incredible. He, he is literally, we are like the perfect match. And I want to give you a quick example of what could have turned him off if I hadn't know, practiced and know, understood these skills. So we initially, when we met, we weren't attracted to each other. I thought he was a great guy. He thought I was a great person. And uh, God had told me to start donating. I felt led to donate to the prison ministry that he has, you know, providing leather-bound Bibles for prisoners. And so I started donating, and then he called me, not realizing it was the same woman that he met. And uh, so we became prayer partners. We became friends, and and then during one of our phone calls, he was on. We were talking, and he said, "Oh, I have to take this call really quick. I'll be right back." Well, he left me on the eternal hold, and so I got quite irritated. I'm like, "Okay," so I let it go, and then we were on another call again, and then it happened again. So now I was getting irritated because I thought, "Wow, well, this is really rude behavior." And now I had two choices on how I could handle this. And this is and this is a little practical thing because little keys unlock big doors, and big doors swing on small hinges. And so, I chose to respond in this way. I, I released my irritation to God first, you know. And then, I when David and I were in a good space, we had we were on another call, and I said, "You know, David, can you do me a favor?" And he said, "Sure." And I said. I know you would never intentionally, you know, dishonor me or dishonor my time. He's like, oh, no, I wouldn't. And I said, well, you know, the last couple phone calls, I've been left on eternal hold. And I know if you have to take a call, I have no problem with that. But on our next call, can you just let me know? You, you have to take that call and you'll call me later. And I'm fine with that. And he said, sure. So for him, if I had done, the, you know, my old ways, well, that was really rude. You know, I can't believe you left me on hold twice because a lot of women will respond like that. I would have responded like that in my old ways. But and then he would have said, oh, wow, she's got some problems and I would have repelled him right? That action right there because he's healthy. He's emotionally healthy. So that would have repelled him. But instead, I handled it in an honoring, respectful way. And that showed emotional growth and maturity. So I didn't blame him. And I didn't assume he was doing it on purpose because that's another thing that we have a tendency to do as women is we assume our man did this on purpose. And then we talk in an accusatory tone instead of an inquisitive tone. And so I address this in, in Seven Mistakes books. So So, that also would have been how he responded to me would have also showed me what he was going to be doing if we were married so but he responded he responded to what I said and he, he said sure no problem and then he was respectful from that point forward but had he ignored what I what I had brought to his attention then that would have been a clue phone for me that he's not emotionally healthy and someone I'm certainly not going to marry because like I said little keys unlock big doors and big doors swing on small hinges so little things that you notice while you're dating someone or in courtship or what have you, you have to look at those things because if they're not addressed and resolved beforehand, it only can escalate after you're married.
1: So both parties in a marriage have got to commit to understand the partner and build a foundation of similarity between the two on which you build a combined relationship with your partner. That's pretty much a 50-50 deal, isn't it? Or is it just the wife or is it just the husband?
2: No, it's it's not just the wife and it's not just the husband. It is a 50-50 deal. And I'm addressing the women in this book in particular because we're looking at our side of the coin. But, you know, we're men are called to be queen makers and women are called to be king makers. And what I mean by that is if you look at the game of chess, you have the queen, and you have the king. Now in the game of chess, the, the queen rules the board and she can take out any opponent and her role is to protect, her job is to protect the king. And, um, you know, God created us to be man and woman and to work side by side. So we are to protect each other's hearts. So of course it's absolutely, you know, it's, it's a dual thing. But in this book, what I talk about is help create awareness for our side of the coin as a, as a woman, as a female, what am I doing that could be contributing to behaviors that my husband is doing? And, And then I keep nagging him or I keep nitpicking or I keep fault finding and then he responds in retaliation. Then you have this ugly hamster wheel cycle where nobody wins. And so when we are able to kind of look at our side of the coin And then we do address the other side because, you know, it takes two to have a marriage and both are equally responsible for their behaviors. But then when we are able to identify what I'm specifically doing and what can I change, then you can make big progress like like the woman who came to to the event. One of the things that she was doing, um, who was going to hand her divorce or divorce papers to her husband, one of the things that she was doing um, to her husband was because she was so irritated with him because she felt like her needs weren't being met, then she would start fault finding him and she would start nitpicking him. So instead of making him feel like a superhero, she was deactivating that inner superhero in him. So if he took out the trash, then she would co- complain that the trash bag, he didn't put the trash bag back in in the trash can. So instead of affirming that he took the trash out, oh wow, honey, thank you for taking the trash out. That was so thoughtful of you. She would say, why do you always leave the trash bag out of the trash can? So you see, so it's little things like that that we can do as women um that can can shift things in a relationship on as far as our side of the coin is concerned. Now, he started to respond in kind because when she started affirming him, So instead of criticizing him, she affirmed him and she began to look for ways that um, made him feel, oh, wow, I did something right. And that's what opened the door for them to be able to have some hard conversations. And it didn't happen overnight. It took time and she would go back to her old ways and then he would respond in retaliation. But they were able now to work it out better. And she was better able to communicate her needs. And now he was in a place where he can he would listen to what she had to say because he she wasn't making him feel shamed and diminished and nothing he does right. You know, cause a lot of oftentimes, you know, if a guy doesn't feel like he can do something right and you're in his wife's eyes or his girlfriend's eyes, he's going to stop doing it. But what she doesn't realize is that her contribution to that is not affirming what he does do. Right.
1: Wow. I don't know either one of you personally. I know about you. I've read some things about you between you and David You've been married now right at 10 years, 2014 to now. So Mm -hmm. you've been together quite a while. I know you've been through some phases, learning each other, understanding each other. How tough has it been for you knowing that there was a Mr. Wrong and you obviously needed to learn the part in Mr. Wrong's life that you played and then compare it to David and your relationship with him now How long did that adjustment take for you?
2: Well, you know, what's interesting is, well, I already had those adjustments within me before I married David. I was completely healed up from all the trauma. I had, God had, you know, I was six uh, celibate and single for 16 years. So that's a long time. And David was single and celibate 25 years he was never married and he had given his life to the lord and that's incredible for a guy you know so so when we came together i already had been practicing these skills i already knew what i needed to look at for myself i already knew how to handle different situations because of what i had already learned and so when we got married we really didn't have like a major adjustment period it's it's because he was emotionally healthy i was emotionally healthy But, you know, it's not to say we don't have what we call intense fellowship, you know, so at times when he gets, you know, his tone can get snarky, I'll I'll ask him, I'll say, honey, are you stressed about something? And then he'll say, yeah, I am actually. And then we can talk about it. But instead of, you know, retaliating back, you know, why why do you talk in that tone? So you see, so it's, it's my choices and how I respond and, and he learns from that as well, you know, and so we both have that, that mutual servant's heart. His heart is how can I serve Joanna? My heart is how can I serve David? And so we have to be in that place of maturity or get to that place of maturity. If we're not, it's that I, in my opinion, has to be a goal in my heart. How can I better serve my husband? How can I better serve him to bless him? And, and, and that needs to be mutual. You know, it has to be, it can't just be one way because then you've got to take her and then you've got to give her and that's not healthy either.
1: We don't have a lot of time left and I appreciate you giving us this amount of time. I got to understand something. You're a relationship coach. That means you counsel with people I don't know what your medical professional license is. If you're a counselor, counselor, or if you're licensed, that doesn't really matter. You're dealing with people, principally women, on how to straighten Mm -hmm. out and uh, not get in further trouble in their relationship with their spouse or someone who is about to be their spouse. What is the the single most important thing that when you meet with these people and coach them, what if there's one thing, and it may not be. But if there is, what's the most important thing you tell them?
2: Well, one of the most important things, principles, I would say, because every situation is different and every person is different. But in sevenmistakesbook.com, I think one of the most important principles for a woman to learn is to learn how to receive a compliment. It's something so simple yet profound. And the reason I say this is because if she can't receive a compliment from anyone before she's married and she rejects the compliment. She rejects that gift. And basically what she's saying is, oh, you're lying. That's not true. I don't believe you. So if she's bringing that into the marriage beforehand, she can't even accept a compliment from her husband when he says, oh, you look pretty today. And her typical response might be, oh, no, you're just saying that I look fat. Well, what she doesn't realize she's done is she's now rejected her husband. She's called him a liar and says that what he you know, and doesn't want what he has to say instead of receiving the gift and saying, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Thank you, honey. That is huge. And, and I, I go into that a lot of, in my book. And I, that right there is across the board. One of the biggest things that I've seen with women is the inability to receive a compliment. And it does impact the relationship.
1: Before I let you get to the book, the final segment, you and David, you have a online platform called virtualchurchmedia.com. Give us the details of what it is.
2: Yes. So when we got married, uh, the Lord uh, told David that we're to do an online ministry. Uh, He had a ministry in Kansas City, where he's from, uh, for several years. And so we moved that to a virtual platform. And we did that so that we could reach the world. And we have uh, just expanded on our ministry with an incredible online mobile app. It's beautiful. It has, we have different languages in it. We have a one-year Bible study program in it, and we have all kinds of teachings to help spiritually equip God's children our brothers and sisters to help better their walk with each other and better their walk with God and we travel we minister in different churches and and different places uh, all across the nation we've been in Europe and so uh, we've been on Sid Roth it's supernatural David has his own incredible story which is another you know that's a different thing but yeah so that's what we do with virtualchurchmedia.com
1: Tell us about sevenmistakesbook.com. Tell us a little bit about the book and tell us where we can get it.
2: Okay, so you can go to SevenMistakesBook.com. That's where you can get it. It's also on Amazon, uh, Kindle, and softback. And the book is really for if you're single and you're looking for Mr. Right, and you've been waiting a long time. This book is really going to help you begin to identify some areas that maybe you haven't even realized about yourself, and that'll prepare you for when you meet Mr. Right. So when you do get married, you'll have those skills. You'll have that, and that's going to attract him to you. If you're married and you feeling disconnected from your your spouse, your husband, this book is going to help you identify, okay, what are some things that I can change within myself and different responses that I can give to my husband to get greater results so that you can have that greater intimacy and that greater connection? Because that's what we all want. And we have to just, sometimes we have to become aware and we don't know what we're doing that is pulling us away from those results that we want. So this book is going to help you be able to do that
1: wow everybody needs to get it will you come back again later
2: absolutely i would love to thank you dan
1: joanna harabedian is with us today and she shared her heart not just her brain she shared her heart and you can sense that you've got a great calling and i wish you the the best moving forward you and david tell him i said hello thank you
2: I will. I know (laughs) he would love to meet you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And
1: we'll talk soon.
2: Okay. Sounds good. God bless. You know,
1: there's a lot of things that come away from uh, a conversation like that. Number one, you talk to somebody that you can tell they don't feel like they know it all and they listen and they listen to your questions and then they respond to the questions. In other words, They're interested in you getting out of the conversation what you need to get out of the conversation, and it's not so much that they can control the conversation. That's kind of a big deal right now, especially when you're talking about spouses and problems and issues and finding Mr. Right and not having to deal with Mr. Wrong, And I think we all fall into those categories from time to time, don't we? Well, hey, thank you so much for being here. Again, we're back in the saddle now. It's Monday. This is a different show for a Monday, but it was an important one. I wanted you to hear from Joanna because she brings with her a whole lot of firsthand information and facts. That if we think through those things for ourselves when it comes to relationships with our spouses... We can save ourselves a whole lot of unnecessary heartaches. I think you'll probably agree with that. Tomorrow's Tuesday. Every Tuesday on this show, it's Steve Baker Day. And Steve will probably be with us tomorrow. Depends on some things that uh, we're moving through the weekend. We don't know about them. But if he's here, he'll be here. If he isn't, I'll be here with you. You guys have a great day. Thanks for being part of this family, the Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. See you tomorrow.